Hello, you're listening to the opening statement with Joe Shannon. Who am I? I'm going on my 30th year of marriage to my lovely wife, Michelle. So we're really pumped that we have a uh, Shannon Group alumni here who uh, is one of the MVPs of our firm's history, Nathan Marchese. <laughs> Uh, Nathan uh, was a law clerk here and then, then served as a lawyer, uh, is a contractor for us, and did a great job, uh, helped us put together a number of different books, uh, headed out to California, practiced law out there, ended up starting a family, and he's got a new business uh, just going, and so I wanted to talk to him a little bit about that and kind of catch up with him. So how you doing, Nathan? Great, Joe. Thanks for having me. Sure. So, so Nathan, um, you're a licensed lawyer. You're a, a fellow that grew up in uh, Lyle, and now you're off doing great things. So give us an update of what's going on right now. Absolutely. Well, um, my wife and I uh, are, after uh, you know, uh, practicing law for for several years, my wife and I right now are starting a business ourselves. Um, I think for anyone who's, uh, who's watched the podcast, I think she was on um, last week, and uh, and that that's, that company's Florocracy. We um, sell online flower arrangements, but but uh, what we really aim to do is is to help people form uh, connections. Uh, in times and around things that that might be a little bit difficult to to express kind of um their in their own words and uh express themselves in ways they might find difficult uh basically through through flowers to create uh, to create kind of meaningful connections it sounds easy but i know this is pretty complex thing to put it together so you know you've been you've been working on this and you've been the architect of it um what what can we see that's going to happen in, uh, in late 2020 uh, with this company? What do you think? Uh, great question. Well, we are kind of in a, in a limited sort of uh, testing phase publicly now. Um, we've got the, the site is, is open right now at fluoroxy.com and, uh, and, but we are uh, taking, we're not really uh pushing anything. We haven't formally launched. We're more kind of getting a, uh, a few people in there and and kind of testing and making some rapid adjustments sort of based on the interactions we see from from people visiting the site so um, trying to take a kind of agile approach uh, seeing what's working and and uh, where we can further develop and enhance the experience and basically create something that people are that are really gonna love um, that's great and then um, t- tell me about uh, your your team of people that you have in Rockford that uh, I think it's really cool that you guys decided to um, launch this business in Rockford, uh, which is a, a great Renaissance story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's Sarah's hometown. And, um, you know, when we start, we started the company actually out in San Diego. Um, and we were there for a few years, but we kind of uh, had the opportunity to think about where, um, where, you know, would be the best long-term place in Rockford really did seem like an amazing fit, um, for a number of reasons. Um, largely though, because it, it, of its, uh, of its infrastructure and, and workforce. So, um, the, it's, it's, um, for those that don't know, it's, uh, a manufacturing city. Um, 
it has a storied history in particularly furniture and, and machine parts and uh, avionics, but it kind of like Detroit and some of you know, other Rust Belt cities, it, it did get hit quite hard when a lot of, uh, we lost a lot of manufacturing, um, but it has this incredibly talented um, population, particularly of engineers and developers and, and kind of uh, great, uh, great minds that, that, um, that have not only are incredibly talented, but are really um, enthusiastic about uh, about the possibilities for Rockford and and uh, what can happen for that city and the kind of uh, as you said Renaissance story the great kind of comeback that that city is making um, we're super excited to be a part of that and um, as a result of that you know we're uh, we've put together this amazing team right there in Rockford um, we have uh, one of the uh, best uh, uh, web developers, uh, software developers, I would say in the city that's, uh, that's joined our team recently, um, Scott Wells. He's really um, supercharged kind of our tech development process and taken charge there and is doing amazing things, um, helping us on that front. Um, we've, but we've also got a great team of, um, on our operations side, um, both the, uh, manufacturing kind of overseeing processes kind of helping us develop everything that's, uh, uh, that's kind of actually putting things together in, in a way that um, is, that, that really um, kind of best serves our customers and is, is responsive to their needs and making sure that we're kind of hitting all the marks for their expectations and, and making sure that our follow-up that, that we are, you know, helping them create those connections that are why they came to us in the first place. So um, yeah, our team, we couldn't be more blessed. That was actually one of the more challenging things for us putting together the company as well, um, assembling our team and getting that going. Um, it took one of the biggest areas of development, I would say, for both of us was figuring out how to um, find the right people and effectively um, get everyone on the same page, on the same track, and kind of and effectively learn how to uh, lead them. Um, that's, that's cool. So, so um, the this this COVID thing didn't come at a great time for anybody, obviously, but for startups, it's got to be a little bit frustrating to yeah you get everything together and then all of a sudden this COVID thing hits sometime in you know early early 2020. Here we are, you know, around Memorial Day 2020, and still seems like it's a paralysis in Illinois. Oh yeah, it's it's wild. I don't know if um you had to touch on it at um. In Sarah's interview, but she's the mayor has actually reached out to her and asked her to um, to lead the council for small, getting small business restarted here in Rockford. So that's actually been uh, exciting from that perspective. Getting to uh, think about well, as as bad as things are now, you know, in under these circumstances, what can we do to try to come out of this, you know, okay and even maybe better on the other side. Um, so that's been exciting, but as far as yes, the 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 company itself, um, I, you know, I, I think um, it is such a um, case by case situation when it comes to to COVID. I mean, I think uh, it, based on everything from size to what in particular you're doing, um, you know, what area of business you're in, the actual outcomes are are hugely different you know in some ways with people being very isolated right now it's actually a time when people need to find ways to connect with each other when they can't in person more than ever before um for that reason you know 
I think I think that the world really actually needs this needs what we're, what we're doing uh, in particular right now. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I think whoever harnesses the the ability to virtually connect as close as you know a human touch um, will be the winner of these sweepstakes. And I, you know, it's going to be. I think there's going to be huge industries and businesses that are going to be launched to fill this void which people have because, you know, I was reading in the Wall Street Journal yesterday that, um, you know, in France and Europe, a lot of them, you know, when they greet each other, they give the, the two kisses and that's, that's pretty much gone. Yeah. The handshake, the handshake deal mm-hmm. seems like it's gone in the U S. Um, yeah. seems like we're, you know, just keeping a, a, a safe distance from each other. And, but, but uh, human need for, for contact and, and for, you know, fellowship is, that's, that's never going to stop. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a really good point. Like what are, we kind of see all this craziness and the dramatic changes going on today, but um, it's, it's hard to imagine. um, Yeah. How that's going to play out here going forward. I mean, as you said, like Fauci's talked about uh, Dr. Fauci, you know, um, has talked about the possibility of, you know, handshakes permanently being gone. That it's almost uh, unimaginable, I'd say, like a society where you know you don't have that kind of gesture. It's so ingrained in in our culture. Um, well, speak of that. So let's 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 go back. Let's go back in the time machine here. So one thing about Nathan is he's a pretty cool cat. He does. He's like um, he's got such a cool background. So he grew up in Lyle, went to the best grade school in the world, uh, Saint Joan of Arc in Lyle. Then he went to Bennett. Academy ended up going out west, uh, Western Illinois. What was the name of the college you went to, Nathan? Augustana. Uh, Augustana. Went to Augustana, but then after that, that's what it got interesting. So, so uh, Nathan headed out to the Peace Corps sometime and ended up in of all places Armenia. Yeah. Tell us how that ended up. How'd you end up um, in Armenia? Oh yeah. Well, the story of how I ended up there in particular. Well, in, in college, kind of, I, I knew that I'd wanted to continue my education beyond college. So I kind of decided to do Peace Corps um, because I wanted to kind of do something impactful with the education that I'd accumulated up to that point um, and, and to kind of go out and do something I felt concrete um, and meaningful, you know, before pursuing a graduate education. So... Uh, Peace Corps seemed like a great option. It, it absolutely was. Um, when I enrolled, it, though, that was in uh, 2000, 2002, late 2002, 2003, um, I, was, I, I was originally applying, and, and there's a kind of select, the process by which you are placed, you basically get to choose a continent um, of preference uh, as to where you'd like to go. And um, I asked for Africa. Um, and initially, I did get placed in Africa. They placed me in Morocco, um, which would have been amazing, you know. Um, they speak uh, Arabic and Spanish there. It's, it's probably like, like winning the Peace Corps lottery um, in the sense that, uh, you know, <laughs> you're right there uh, by the Mediterranean and the and, uh, and Atlantic, potentially. And, um, and you know, it would have been a uh, rich culture, rich history. But um, that was also right when 9-11 happened. Um, so as a consequence of that, they Peace Corps closed a number of programs in countries, including 
Morocco. So they said, okay, hold tight. Um, we'll, we'll find another place for you. Um, and uh, the next option they came back with was uh, actually vaulting is China. Um, and so I said, well, that, that was definitely not on my radar at all. It wasn't even in the continent that I was, you know, looking at or thinking of, but. Uh, Where's that? Where was that? China. China. Okay. Now it's interesting. I, I doubt they have a, a Peace Corps program there anymore. Um, but <laughs> 20 years ago, it's hard to even imagine, even not even 20 years ago, um, uh, China's position in the world and, and what they were doing was just totally different. But yeah, they, they were, there were Peace Corps volunteers going over there uh, back then. And yeah, they, they uh, assigned me to China. And, um, you know, that seemed like a great alternative for uh, a bunch of reasons. But then, you know, SARS broke out. So, um, so China got closed. And, uh, and after that, then they, they offered me the choice of Ukraine or Armenia. Um, and uh, Armenia actually seemed like the, 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 the country that I knew less about. And uh, the in some ways more exotic location, so that that was what I that was what I chose. Not not really honestly knowing too much about either country, but um, but uh, yeah, it was amazing, um, an amazing experience living there. To, did you speak? Did you speak any language in Armenia? Armenian, yes. Um, I learned it over the course of the time there. Um, well, but, um, different. You know, your, where you're placed um, has a big impact on your actual opportunity to learn the language. Um, so I was in a, I was the first volunteer ever placed in this village and it was the uh, last village out on the road to um, the disputed Karabakh territory between Azerbaijan and Armenia. So it's pretty, pretty remote. Nobody there spoke a lick, a lick of English. I doubt anyone in the village had ever met an American before. <laughs> had a, a huge opportunity to learn Armenian there um, and and I, I devoted myself pretty pretty well to it um, so I came out on Peace Corps as, a, as like an 11 tier um, evaluation scale um, and in my exit interviews I was 9 on 11 with 11 being native speaker uh, 10 being essentially you can say anything there may be some you have an accent and, and probably there's some weird you know, colloquial phrases that you're gonna get wrong. You're gonna say things awkwardly. Um, but but I was I was I was right under that uh, not uh, nine advanced high, which is kind of um um well, like basically you can express anything you want. Although sometimes people are gonna are gonna think that you you sound uh, like you, you. Everyone's gonna know that you're not Armenian. That's for sure. Um, so tell me what you what you gather. Just you know, just give me a paragraph on how you, what what you learned in that two years that you were in Armenia? Oh, wow. Um, um, boy, it, it was a, a lot, but at the same time, not uh, always things that are easy to put into words. Um, it, um, it concisely, let's just say. Um, I, I, I guess more than anything, I learned what it's like to live in an undeveloped rural area that is basically um in poverty um to, to the i lived with um essentially i shared my house with a young family who um were kind of just starting out on their own and really had nothing um they had two kids but um through some various history um and circumstances 
were kind of had essentially ended up in the winter there with nothing. So they were kind of living off debt from the local stores just to get some, some uh, basic food. And, and I was kind of just sharing the, the firewood that I had with them. Um, they couldn't uh, really afford any themselves. Um, and, uh, and um, the, uh, on the other hand, uh, my, my good friends, the, the kind of closest people I had that lived in the village, like my neighbors across the street, they had, uh, they were considered like fairly well-to-do in that um, the, the, the father that lived there had, um, well, they owned their own house, first of all. They had some land they farmed. And the, the father that lived there actually ha was the military science academy at the, at the local school. So um, that's, which was essentially aside from farming, the only actual job in, in town. Uh, there were a few people that had like local good stores but other than that, it's teachers and, and farming was essentially the entire economy. Um, so what, how did, what was your job when you were in the Peace Corps in Armenia? I taught English in the school. Um, okay, so and, and how many kids were in the school? Um, the, this was a fairly big village. The village population overall was about 4,000. And I want to say that, that, um, that our school had something like 600 kids in it. Um, wow. So pretty big um, for, for a village. There, there are some villages that have like 500 people. Um, so for, not huge, but was a moderately large village there. So you got out of there and then, then you, did you head to law school right away after that? Um, well, uh, not exactly, no. Um, after I finished, I, I devoted myself actually so much to learning Armenian. When I kind of got done, I realized, wait, um, I'm pretty good at this Armenian thing, uh, but I'm never going to be able to speak it ever again with anyone because there's only like 15 million people in the world that actually speak Armenian, um, and I certainly don't know any of them. Um, uh, so I so I thought, well, uh, maybe it would be, maybe I could go somewhere now to to do, to learn maybe a language that might be more practical. And so I actually spent a year in uh, in Russia, actually in Moscow, um, studying Russian. And, um, and coming back after, after that, uh, I came back and, and basically took the LSAT and then applied for law school. So you spent a year in Moscow yeah. back in, in the early 2000s. That, that must have been quite an eye opener for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, again, uh, just like I said with China, like you couldn't, um, I couldn't express I would not feel safe going either there or to even Armenia, which is a very safe country really now. Like the difference is 15 years later, the difference is just night and day between the, um, between the politics and relationship between the countries. That was a pretty high point actually, I think in the relationship between the US and, and Russia. Um, um, but even then, yeah, Moscow was a, a scary place. Um, there were uh, a lot of, of neo-Nazis there. There were gangs that basically warned the embassies there to, uh, on Hitler's birthday, like, just tell your people, don't go out. We're going to like go and find and beat people up tonight. Um, so I guess uh, courteous of them to, to give that, that warning. Uh, but, um, but uh, yeah, it, in retrospect, I, I had, even, even then, I think I look back, I think back to that and I think, wow, I was, um, it would have been so easy for something to, to go wrong and you just be like, helpless there uh, uh, without really any, any, uh, any resort um, if, if, you know, you've gotten a 
trouble in some way. Um, uh, so, so that, so those environments, the the Armenian environment and the Russian environment, that kind of that kind of ambiguity you lived in, and that's got to kind of help you for a startup. Yeah, it's a it's a good point. Um, uh, well, I, I would say yes. The the um, getting those different perspectives, especially considering what it is we're trying to do. Um, yeah, will will be absolutely um, invaluable. Um, That's good. I like uh, it. So then, so then, what's the? Uh, you know, you ended up at Washington and Lee, right? Yeah, yeah. Law school. You went to law school there. Then you you did some work um, out there. I know you did some work for some miners mm -hmm. out there, trying to help them get benefits for um, for all the the occupational disease to minors, right? Yes, I uh, worked at Washington and Lee. One of the reasons that I, well, really uh, the main reason I went to Washington and Lee was that they uh, had a clinic, the, a black lung clinic that's active with the West Virginia coal miners. Um, and they basically try to help those miners adjudicate their cases um, before the um, Black Lung Benefits Review Board uh, in, in the basically administrative system there. Essentially for, you know, that these um, relief systems that have been set up for, yeah, minors who have gotten um, pulmonary diseases uh, from inhaling rock dust for decades um, to get some kind of compensation. Um, so yeah, that was, I, I got, wow, that was, uh, so I, I, that was why I chose Washington Lee. Um, I did get to uh, to work there for my uh, third year, and um, and uh, the opportunities there that I, the things I got to do I, I, I still look back and um, and uh, and I can't even believe it. I got to um, uh, while I was there, I got to handle uh, present a, a case in the administrative court um, and basically the trial level um, petition for uh, for benefits. I got to handle some briefing before the intermediary court, um, the Benefits Review Board, um, which is kind of a preliminary appeal. And, and I even got to actually ha uh, draft briefing and do an oral argument for the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals on, uh, for another case. Um, mixed results yeah. in, in, in some of those, but, um, but um, it was immensely satisfying getting to to meet these miners and their families and uh, survivors in some cases and and try to get them some kind of um, relief or, or even help um, for their conditions because a lot of them you know were complete uh, completely disabled with you know extremely low pulmonary function basically which you you know when you have like 30% pulmonary function, you're, you're miserably paralyzed, basically can't. Move. Yeah, you know what, the one thing that, uh, in my experience, we work with Nathan is he's an unbelievable writer, uh, but just had a huge heart for the clients. And um, and so I was really lucky to have him, you know, help me write a number of different publications and he just did a great job. And, uh, but so. uh, I like the hard part of it, the, that he always you know, was thinking about the client first. And, um, but, Nathan, maybe you could just tell us, you know, as we close up this interview, um, a little bit about your family. What's, uh, you got a growing family there, my friend. Yeah, yeah. We welcomed our uh, new 
da uh, daughter, third girl, um, here in December, um, uh, Delphi. Uh, but we so I've got uh, my wife Sarah who uh, your fans and, and viewers will probably recognize from last week. Um, and we have three girls together: Nautica, who's six; Millie, who's uh, going to turn four in in July here; and Delphi, who uh, was born in December. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're they're uh, can't believe now. Uh, I we basically came back to Illinois from San Diego shortly after Nautic was born. Uh, can't even believe it. Six uh, six years and um, and for a, a good portion of that time we were working together. Um, I was uh, Joe. I was working at uh, Shannon Law Group and um, and boy, yeah, uh, time flies, man. It does. I'm telling you. Yeah, and you know, I've got four daughters myself. Um, a couple boys too. But those daughters, man, that's that's they're gonna, they're wrapped around your finger there, Nathan. Yeah, you, you've got no hope. Yeah, it's it's absolutely true. Uh, it's it's shameful how how uh, how easily they can manipulate us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have some great stories to tell about all your adventures. I mean, I don't have any adventures like yours, man. Going to Russia, going to. Armenia and traveling the world and wow it's just uh it's great and so we're we'll, we'll wait to the, uh, read your your big novel about yeah. you know something something like the next Dostoevsky uh, novel or whatever comes out I mean Tolstoy this guy he speaks he's Russian he speaks Armenian speaks a little bit of English he's done a good <laughs> job but Nathan I want to thank you so much for joining us any any closing words um no I I can't uh um not, not really. Um, just uh, glad, glad to get to be on the show. Uh, great uh, talking to you, Joe. Um, and yeah, I can't wait to see where you guys take this this podcast and and hear what's coming down next uh, down the pike for Channel Logger. Yeah, we'll check. We'll check out. Check in to see what's going on. With florocracy. I just I hope that thing just takes off and that you're able to get that niche and where. You know, because it is a great product and it's a great uh, concept, and I really like it. So, uh, good luck to you and Sarah and to Rockford. Thanks, Joe. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the opening statement with Joe Shannon. You can find us on the internet at shannonlawgroup.com or telephone our office at 312 578 9501. Have a terrific day.